Welcome back to season eight of Talking with Traders. This is the fourth year of this podcast since it began in 2020. Once again, IG Markets have come on board as the sponsor of this podcast. We're truly grateful and privileged to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsors. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some of these will be past guests that we invite back onto the podcast, and some will be new guests. The idea is to attract a broad spectrum of different perspectives from players in different areas of the markets. None of what you hear here is financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here to your own trading and investing. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG Markets for sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for your continued support of this podcast. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And this time I'm delighted to go all the way westwards to New York City. And we've got Frank Caparelli in, uh, Capilleri in the studio. Frank, have I said that right? You did. Capillary is right. I like to Ca- say, sounds like the vein. Okay, there we go. And it's from Cap Thesis. So it's well, welcome, Frank. It's so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much for making the time to to come on and talk to me today. Just give me a little bit of background into your career, if you don't mind, Frank. I always do this with new guests. Tell us a little bit about your story, where you've been, and the, the path that your career has taken to get you to this point. Great. Well, Garth, thank you very much for having me. You do a fantastic job. So it's my pleasure to be here. And so, sorry, Cap Thesis, which is a technical market commentary um, firm. So we talk to a lot of you know investment advisors, institutions, and really any private investor with an active interest in the market. And so we do a lot of you know, commentary and trade ideas based on that. And sorry, Cap Thesis, about a year and a half ago, September 2022. And before that, I spent 25 years on Wall Street on the sell side. And for 22 of those years, I was with Instanet which is the equity arm of Nomura, the big Japanese bank. And a good amount of that time, I was an equity sales trader. So covering you know, hedge funds, um, other institutions like that. And all along the way, I had uh, a technical bent. I was doing content as well. And toward the end of it, I started doing more content. And I eventually left trading, uh, went into research, worked at the research sales desk. And then toward the end, was a desk strategist. So all along the way, you know, I dealt with you know, buy side traders, of course, then buy side analysts, portfolio managers, and also, of course, all the my sell side counterparts. So I think that really gave me a good indication of what you know the people that are really driving the market want to see, at least from from a technical commentary standpoint. And that was one of the main reasons why I decided to start Cap Thesis, an independent um, part of that, and you know, to continue to work with my institutional clients. But the other side of it was to bring that type of Wall Street level content to people that are outside of that business, right? To typically have access to it. So again, financial advisory um, the firms are, are a big part of that and active investors. And so just going back before that, spent three years at, the first three years at Smith Barney, which is now Citigroup. And so for any one of your viewers that are familiar with some of the people that really started technical analysis movement, the pioneers, I worked with two of them right away. Alan Shaw, who fortunately passed away uh, last week, and also Luis Amada. Working hand-in-hand with them for the first three years really gave me indication, number one, what the market was about, 
because I had no idea coming out of school and also where I wanted to you know, really base my you know career going forward. I didn't know at the time, but you know being around it um, so much really um, obviously gave me an indication of where I wanted to go. Okay, fantastic. And I see, uh, you know, from the, a lot of the work that I, I see of yours and and where I see your work is a lot of the time on the daily chart report emails that come through. I'm, I'm a subscriber to that and I love the work that uh, Patrick does with the daily chart report. But I see he quotes your work quite a bit and I often click on it and read it and I find it very interesting. And that was the reason for me wanting to track you down and speak to you. Um, a lot of the work that that you seem to do there is technically based, but I know from your bio that you, you've got both a CFA and a CMT. So, I mean, those are very enviable qualifications to have both of them, but uh, somewhat unusual for somebody to have both of those. And I know in the past, there's always been this sort of thinking that you're, you know, you're either a fundamental guy or a technicals guy. Whereas obviously CFA is very fundamental focused and CMT, Chartered Market Technician, is very technical analysis focused. So it's interesting to see that you've got both both qualifications. Um, but in terms of the work that you do, I mean, how much weighting do you give to technicals over fundamentals or vice versa? And what is your sort of, if, if I had to argue or ask you, do you prefer one over the other, fundamentals or technicals? Which would it be? Yeah, right. A very important question. Well, my if you go into my website, kathesis.com, you'll see it's all technical commentary, right? So for, for that instance, so I'm doing all that to complement the fundamental analysis that my clients are getting or doing themselves, really. So if we go all the way back again, coming out of, of college, I knew I wanted to be in an analytical role of some regard, didn't know which one to do. So I did approach, you know, technical analysis from a career standpoint, but took both those exams to make sure I understood both sides of it, not knowing really what, where I would go right away. But, you know, Garth, as you know, that the market in general, making a decision on whether to buy or sell a stock sometimes is not like the company or should say the stock doesn't act like the company. So the best scenarios when I work with, you know, fundamentally bent clients or even like big PMs that base all of their, their success on being able to make them a fundamental call, knowing that having that part of it to understand the timing can really add to the alpha, right? And so a lot of times they'll look to me or someone like what I do to point out those, you know, maybe potentially overbought conditions or relative strength or what have you, really being the ear for them um, in, in that regard. Okay. All right. Very interesting. And uh, in terms of your style, I mean, I know previously to this, before we started recording, you said you're not you're not so much of an active trader. You sort of straddle a little bit of the medium terms trading to slash slash investing type of approach. Um, so, I mean, to that to that extent, what is your style when it comes to trading slash investing the market timeframes and things? Maybe you can talk a little bit to that. And and then also, uh, you know, keeping along the lines of the technical analysis theme, do you, do you have any specific technical setups that you particularly like and and tend to focus on in your in your work? Right. Well, from a training perspective, I look first to the classical technical patterns, right? You know them all before. So inverse head and shoulders pattern, cup and handles, so forth and so on. To me, that makes sense. And I point to actually Peter Brandt, I'm sure you know, yep, um, yep. that has like five decades worth of success with that. Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing what he says, but you know, he, he says technical analysis isn't anything magical, but it makes sense to him and it helps him identify both you know, entry points 
helps them manage risk. And that's why I use it as well. And so I'm providing trading ideas or, or showing setups <clears throat> every day with those in mind, showing where the target would be based on a measure move and showing where a risk uh, management level would be. Either that's you know at, at a certain support level that you can identify moving average retracement, but from you know trading it myself, that's how I use it as well. And the, the basic way of putting it is that if the structure that caused me to be bullish on something is now lo no longer in place, then the trade is over. Right. Yeah. So that's that's how I manage the risk assets. And so, you know, individual basis, of course, is based on you know what you want to do, what your time frames are, how much you want to risk. But that's how I manage it just from a chart perspective. Okay. All right, super. And in your work, I mean, what do you trade? Do you do straight equities or do you also do leveraged products, uh, CFDs or futures? Um, do you do you know, options in, in, in terms of the suites of products that you trade and invest? What does that look like? Sure. It's kind of boring, actually, Garth. It's uh, <laughs> equities and ETFs. But I okay. think, you know, in today's day and world, you can really express any interest that you want within ETFs, right? Whether it's something, you know, foreign-based or a commodity, what have you, you don't have to go into those exotic things. And I would say even, there's even the case for, you know, even before the Bitcoin ETF came along, we know that these, you know, the trusts were there and people didn't need to go open a Coinbase account. Even a lot of, a lot of people did back in 2017. But the point being is that there are a number of liquid assets out there that we can trade. And that's what I typically use. Again, just the individual individual stocks you can get in any brokerage firm and ETFs as well. Okay. Very interesting. So so you mentioned very boring, but often very boring is actually the right way to do it. And it's certainly the most sustainable way to do it. Um, so you don't, you don't play with any of the geared instruments, then futures, leverage, none of that. I don't. But again, it, it has to do with what you're comfortable with yeah. and what you're familiar with. And have so, you, yeah, have you done that in the past? So have you have you been involved with derivatives and leveraged instruments in the past, uh, but kind of decided that spot equities and and delta one is is just a better you know, better to sleep at night, more uh, you know, more responsible way of trading slash investing. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it has to do with just what I did for in my in my job, and I was always involved in equities only. Right. And so, as you know, just working at a big brokerage firm, you typically don't trade a lot on your personal account, but do pay attention to it. So yeah. because I've spent so much time analyzing and giving advice on and talking about equities, that's where I know my strength is. Right. And so I think that's what I think people should do as well. Go to where you know your strength. No problem trying to learn other things. But now, you know, I'm going to this now over 25 years. I talk about it. I write about it and I trade the same types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Super. And when it comes to managing risk then on that type of, uh, on spot equities, I mean, do you have a specific amount of, of, of risk you're willing to tolerate in terms of a loss, a, a drawdown on a particular position, um, at which point you call it quits or, or, or how does that work in terms of risk management for you? Right. Typically they put the same amount of, of dollars, so to speak, into any trade because we know I know it's a certain percentage of capital. And again, going back to how I manage risk, it's not really a dollar amount. And that's obviously in, in my head, but knowing that the potential loss is going to be less than pot potential profit if things go accordingly. And then as we go higher, you know, a lot of times I'll put just a like a floating, you know, trailing stop loss on something. If a breakout does work, knowing that there's going to be a pullback. So I think it's very important, at least from my perspective, to manage that risk and to make sure that 
know, a small gain doesn't turn into a loss into a bigger loss. And one of the things I do as well, um, which may be a little different, is that I don't trade any of these real time, meaning that I'll do a lot of the analytical work during the day. And then at nighttime, look at the levels. When there's no motion involved, put the levels in and don't touch them going forward. So I think it's, you know, as a trader, Garth, you know that setting rules are important. Paying attention to those rules are much more important. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very important to have rules. But it's interesting that you mentioned that about doing your work outside of the market hours. So that's a, a, a philosophy that I've always held quite true, true as well, that you know, it's difficult to keep a cool head sometimes when the market's open and prices are flickering and things are happening. It's kind of like it can be difficult to 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 make a, a, a rational decision at times. So doing your work outside of the market hours kind of allows you to build a roadmap or build a build a plan, I suppose, for the day ahead or for the week ahead. Um, so it's quite interesting to hear that 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 you do that as well. So it's kind of I mean, I liken it to sports, right? You, there's a there's a game plan worked out off the field before the game starts, and once the starting whistle blows, you know it's a case of execute the plan. Uh, you don't make it up on the fly as you go. Exactly right. I think that's very important, and you know that's. I think that sounds good to all of us, but then it really gets stressed when the market starts to go berserk, and I think that's very important for people to understand as well. Um, because a plan is only as good as you paying attention to it. And that has to that plan you put in place has to obviously pay attention to the movements that are outside of the norm as well. Yeah, totally. So when I was having a look on your your website, uh, Frank, on your Cap Thesis website, I saw that you've got your core values there, which I really enjoyed reading. There's 10 core values of your of your business. But right at the top is number one, the market is always right. And I, I had to have a, a, a smile at that because I think it's just, I mean, it's such a good philosophy and a good core value to start with. Um, and, and I suppose I've already asked the question a little bit about risk management, but I mean, you must have had times in the past where you feel ah, the market's just not right. I mean, the market's, it, 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 this can't be right. You know, the price can't be this low or or it can't or shouldn't be this high or, you know, Um Talk to me about that a little bit. I mean, you know, market is always right. Then, then that's it. Price is king, right? Price is the truth at any given time, and that's what we've always got to remember as as traders and investors. But and have you had times in the past where you've just kind of almost broken that rule or, or not? Of course, of course. And, it, and I have you know, aligned with that that core value is in price. There is knowledge from Alan Shaw, who I talked about yeah. before. Um, and so I would relate it to, this is one example at least. And so as we know, when the market started to turn in October 2022, it was sharp, but because the environment around us wasn't much different, it took a lot of convincing people, right? Mm -hmm. And even along the way, there are still going to be doubters, there still are doubters now. And what I try to do, and you know, the piece every day, focus on the S&P 500 first to get an overall market stance, to point out the major patterns that are going through. And so all along the way from October 2022 all the way through basically the October 2023, I identified four major topping patterns within the S&P 500 going up. And it looked like they're about to break each time. Mm. Big patterns, right? Mm. And so, as you, as you know, the saying, sometimes the biggest patterns that don't work out lead to the strongest moves on the other side. Mm. And so doing that, again, there's always going to be bearish undertones out there. 
paying attention to what happens with the price action is much more important because if you still think that the market shouldn't be where it is, now how much further are we up than we were back then? And you know, a lot, there's a big difference between the potential topping pattern and one that actually plays out. Where a lot of things have to happen. We have to, you have to see the breakdown. The breakdown zone has to hold. The downside target has to be hit. That hasn't happened, right? At least from a big, you know, a, a much larger view since you know September, October 2022. And that was the biggest one because again, you have to eliminate the noise in that sense and paying attention to how those patterns should work and when they're not working is a really big tell. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting, exactly. And I mean, I love what you say about failed patterns. Uh, often, a you know, a, a, a failed bearish pattern is is actually very bullish. So, okay, like a like a head and shoulders top that doesn't break to the downside. Instead, it goes up and takes out the the top of the right shoulder. It's bullish, right? And and I guess a lot of people get caught caught on the wrong side of that by potentially shorting the market, and then of course they have to buy back. When it uh, when it starts to push to new highs again, so yep. let's talk a little bit about the current market environment. Uh, I know you know with these podcasts we do try and keep the content fairly evergreen, which most of what we've talked about so far has been. But we're recording this now in at the end of January 2024. Uh, markets have had quite a good time of it over the the final quarter of 2023, and they've had a pretty strong start to 2024 so far. S&P 500 is bumping up at new highs right now. Sitting in front of my screen, I've got it nearly at 49.20. So that's breaking higher, breaking to new highs, NASDAQ breaking to new highs. We've obviously got big um, earnings coming up this week from a number of the magnificent seven stocks. You know, it's, it's, it's run hard. It's overbought, but I mean, overbought is is kind of a it's 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 interesting, but probably that's about where it ends, right? Because things can stay overbought for longer than many people would think possible. What do you make of this market at this point in time? You know, are you are you very bullish for twenty twenty four, or are you cautious? Uh, how are you seeing the year ahead? Right, well, I'm bullish as long as things that have been working continue to work. Now, I'll elaborate on that. And so looking back at, at what's going on over the past three months, um, I think a lot of times you have to eliminate the noise, but at the same time, pay close attention to the daily price action. That may sound strange, but what I mean is you get a sense of when there can be a shift. And so there's a number of things you can focus on. I'll talk, I'll talk about two of them. Number one, I really think that to get a sense of two-way volatility, the VIX is kind of useless in that sense, right? Because the VIX will spike the market goes down. The market goes up a lot. There's still a lot of emotion behind it, but it doesn't react. Yeah. And so a good way to judge that is just by looking at the number of big daily moves within the S&P 500. And so, you know, since the October 27th low, there's been one, 1% decline on December 20th. There's oh. been nine 1% advances, a lot. But at the same time, five of those happened in the first 12 trading days of this comeback. So since that point, going over almost two months now, there's only been four. So that means that the volatility is low. That's important because when you have a breakout, those tend to work if we don't get a whipsaw. Whipsaws don't happen if you have small moves like that. So that's one thing. So if we start to see big moves, and it could come because of the Fed this week, after the Magnificent Seven reporting, as you pointed out, things could change um, in that sense or begin to change at least. And the other part I'm looking at, again, just how the market closes every day. So the S&P 500 has closed above its midpoint now 80% of the time since the lows. And so that just needs to change. And again, people don't look at this on a very you know, intricate basis like that. But again, coming from my side of institutional uh, sales trading, I know that 
algorithms are a big part of that game. And especially when you don't find a lot of opportunities, a lot of, of intraday back and forth, people are going to use participation in algorithms, like volume, volume participation or VBAP because they just want it engage with the trend and they think it's going to close higher for the day and also continue higher. So when that changes, you know, it will change. Now, again, we can walk into any day being down 3% and things can unwind from there, but you need follow through. There could be yeah. one big day like we had on December 20th that everyone thought was going to be like July 27th and quickly roll over. But what happened instead, the big came back. And I think, again, this strategy I'm talking about is never going to nail the top, but it's going to keep us in the trade longer. And we've seen how these can then extend like 2021, 2019, 17, 13, all went longer than we think and all had the same type of characteristics. Yeah, very interesting. I suppose markets climb a wall of worry when they're going up. And that's right. uh, and 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 that's exactly what it's doing right at this at this moment, I guess. Um, if you had a, a, a client come to you, uh, let's say someone youngish, thirty years old, so got a decent amount of time left in their investing career, and they had a million dollars, wanting you to sort of allocate it. So, how, what would that look like at this point in time, in terms of how you'd allocate that kind of funds for for someone with that type of time horizon? In their investing career, yeah, I think I think I'll look at this of one in two ways. I think if you're either an active investor who's always trying to make calls, or you're not, and if you're not, you should be agnostic to the market. And if you're 30 years old, I think that investment horizon is still long enough that you have to be in risky assets, right? And do it so just be robotic as possible with that, right? The, the dollar cross averaging and removing emotion once again, because we know at some point this market's going to come down probably pretty aggressively. Who knows when that's going to happen? It's going to go back up. And anyone who tries to time that with their money that they want to have in decades from now is just going to underperform. Either way, it's just human emotion. We know about that. I'm sure you've seen studies, Garth, where the market is up a certain amount over 20 years. The average buy and hold portfolio underperforms by a good deal because everyone, again, because of human nature, freaks out on the way down yeah. and gets over exuberant on the way up. And the really only way to eliminate that is to just take your hands off and make sure that you know you continue to buy in that sense. So I think that's the most important thing as opposed to asset allocation obviously is important, but having that mindset, I think, is is just as important. Right. Okay. Very, very good. Very good. And in your years in the in the market, Frank, I, mean, I always like to talk to guys that have been around for a while. You've you've certainly mentioned that you've been in this game for more than two decades. Um, you know, any particularly valuable lessons that the market has taught you that, that are very, very memorable? Uh, and, and to that extent, I mean, any, any bad memories that stand out for you? And then also any, any really good memories that stand out in your career in the market? Well, the great financial crisis was obviously a, a very interesting one for everyone. And yeah. sitting in the seat I was in, right, I was, again, personal account, seeing it go down like everyone else. Um, seeing our clients potentially go out of business because a lot of hedge funds lost a lot of money. And over the next, next two years, it was a very, very different environment. And the third thing was that seeing potential competitors go out of business overnight. So mm -hmm. there was a triple whammy of fear walking in there. That was really the first time that I felt like just fear going to work just because didn't all three of those could evaporate at one time. Yeah. But I remember talking to uh, a seasoned client at the time about it. And he was like, listen, this is really bad, but there's been bad instances before. The most important thing you can do right now is keep your seat. We need that do what you need to do to make sure you're, you get through this 
help your clients, be a source of value, keep providing your content, because eventually this particular thing will end. And the people who, you know, again, stay to the course and, and continue to do what they're doing will be there. And that, that went with personal investments, of course, getting back to not freaking out too much, even though things are really bad, right? Because you missed buying on the bottom, you would really underperform. And then just again, not freaking out at work as well. Continue to help your clients. They're going to remember that on the way up. Okay. Very, very good advice. That financial crisis certainly was a, yeah, it was a hell of a thing. I mean, it was also, I, I'm guessing you and I are probably a similar age. Um, and it was, it happened about, well, it certainly happened in the first decade of my career and an extremely memorable. I mean, I've actually got a, a newspaper from the FT on my, on my wall in my office here from the week where the markets were down 20%. And it, it, you know, you never forget those kind of things. Any particularly good memories for you? Best times, but happy, happy times in this business that uh, stand out for you? Yeah, you know, a lot of them, of course. And, you know, just being a part of of a team sometimes, right, that, that you're there for, for the good times because you know you, you went through the bad times. Yeah. That's an important part of it. And I think you've been involved with the markets like that. You know, you have a sense that it's going to change at all times. And so you have these wins, but I think, you, you, you know, people understand that, you know, you, you can't, it's good to celebrate sometimes, but understand there's always something around the corner. And I think that's the most important thing. And I can even relate it to, you know, my business now is that you work and work and work, you know, to to get something going. You get it and realize there's something else out there that you continue to, to work and get. And, you know, achieving something after working for it for a long time is much more enjoyable than just having the same thing happen over and over. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Sometimes you got to have the bad times to appreciate the good times, right? That's right. <laughs> Uh, and and I always like to ask guests this as well. Uh, any favorite books on investing and trading that you've particularly enjoyed, or that you think every investor, every trader should read at some point in their career? Well, I'll say two things. One, all the Jack Schrager books, the Market yeah. Wizards books, I think are very important because he goes through, as you know, interviewing very seasoned, very successful traders who've gotten that way all different ways, mm. right? And so you don't have to do something just because someone says to do it a certain way. Yeah. Trying to learn to see how, how you want to do it and, and then obviously apply to that. Um, the second one, I don't know if if this one's come up before, but Nicholas Darvis's book, How I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market. Yeah. It, right? A classic, but it's not talked about it too much. Classic. Yeah. And you made it's $2 a, million dollars in like 1958, 59. So that's a, a lot more now. Yeah, yeah, it was mega money. But I mean, I don't know what you would equate that to now. Probably $100 million or, or yeah. something. A, bit, a very big number. Uh, but that is a brilliant book. You're right. Uh, it's one of the ones I've read and I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and what I find interesting with those older books is that the principles haven't changed. You know, you listen to, I'll say listen because I do audio books, but, um, uh, right. But that one, you know, how I made $2 million in the stock market. Um, and then um, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, also obviously a, an old classic book. Right. But I just like listening to those, you, you realize there's nothing new in this game. Like the principles are the same. They were the same 100 years ago. The human emotions haven't changed. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I suppose that's what drives markets, certainly in the short term, right? Oh, without a doubt. That, that will never change. Just you, you want to hope that humans are still involved with things. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Frank, uh, we, we're getting towards the end of our, our time. Um, so I've got one more question that I want to ask you before, before we wrap it up. Um, if a youngster came to you now and said, you know, I want to, I, I want to start a career in the market and 
this is my passion. This is where I want to go. What should I study? What should I do? Have you got any advice for me? What What would you, you know, in a short couple of minutes, what advice would you give to a youngster wanting to start out in the markets now and, and have a career in the market, either as a trader or as a portfolio manager or a, you know, some sort of a long-term investor, someone who's going to have longevity as a career in the markets? Yeah, I actually had that question asked me numerous times at you know, my former life because we had interns and younger you know, um, workers come in as well. And then the most important thing is try to distinguish yourself, meaning that find a specialty and there's always something to do with that regard and do it consistently. Because you know, just seeing the amount of, of content I put out, they've got the emails and say, they don't want to do a note as well. I say, great, you should. What's going to be your focus? Right? Try to get the focus and then typically get an example. And there's this really grandiose piece, looks great, but can you produce that? on a consistent basis. Is it every week? Is it every day? Because what you want to happen, of course, you want someone to to value your work and you want them to get used to it and be part of their workflow. And that's only going to happen if they continue to see it because the most, you know, from that, they'll, they'll know that Garth produces this podcast. It's great. It comes out on a consistent basis. They always have great people. If it disappears for three months, they may replace it with something else, right? Yeah. So that's as an example that, of course, you can understand. So I think that's, that's an important thing because I think that a lot of people, younger people that come up, they want to see instant success, realizing that it's going to take time, but 10 years, 20 years, it goes pretty fast. And if you do something consistently over that time frame, it's going to matter. You're going to create value. And who knows? And one day, you know, become one of the uh, managing directors or create your own company. Yeah. That's a great answer. And it's an answer that hasn't really come up from other guests actually before. You know, usually people say, you know, study this, study that, whatever, whatever. I love that about consistency because I think you're so right. It's it, doing something consistently and just banging home a consistent product, consistent message. It, 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 it builds your brand over time, I suppose. Um, and likewise for you, by the way, I mean, I, I see your work coming out and it, it's, it's consistent. It's consistently good. And uh, it's consistently very professional, so so yeah, well done, well done to you as well for for for, the, for showing that consistency and for walking the talk. <laughs> Thanks so much. Let me tell you, a lot of trial and error. That's an important part of the game too, right? Because it, if you it, think it is, it, yeah. yeah. But but trial and error, and, and perfection is the enemy of progress. That's also something I Nailed believe in. Right, so right. so so you know, just do it. Um, doesn't have to be perfect every time. Just do it and keep trying to work at it. I suppose perfection maybe comes with time, but don't don't hold back just because it's not perfect right now. Exactly. 100%. Couldn't say it better myself, Garth. Yeah, super, super. Well, Frank, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, an absolute pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Um, I, I really appreciate you coming forward and being willing to do this with me. And, and I hope that we can catch up again at some stage in the future. I hope so too. Thank you so much again. Continue best of luck with the podcast. You're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.